thing that we do. Hey! Yeah. Welcome back, everyone, to Box Office Bylines, a podcast about movies, about journalism, now with a special soft intro. <laughs> that we're testing out. Shining a spotlight on all the president's men and broadcasting the news up close and personal. Uh, I am Jacob Boone, freelance writer, editor in Yellowknife, and joined as always, or at least for the most part, unless she's busy with her busy and successful life, Tara Thorne. It's one of those things, <laughs> Jacob. It's one of those things. <laughs> Hi, here in Halifax. How you doing, Tara? I'm all right. How are you? Good. Um, this movie uh, that we're doing this week, Heartburn. 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 Not the not the affliction that like a burger causes you, but <laughs> the burn of but life. The burn of the heart. Of love. Yes. Um. This has no journalism in it. It has two Titanic journalists at its core that it's based on. Yes. Uh, but we but we barely see them doing any of it. So, so. 1986, she's a magazine food writer in mm-hmm. New York who gives up her career to have a family. He's a newspaper columnist in D.C. who cheats on her and is Carl Bernstein. <laughs> she is Nora Ephron. She is Nora I, Ephron. Imagine getting to write your own. Okay. Imagine getting to write a book about your shitty husband. That's uh-huh. a bestseller. Imagine getting to adapt that. Yeah. yeah. Imagine getting to adapt it into a screenplay directed by Mike Nichols. Mm -hmm. And imagine you being played by Meryl fucking Street. Yeah. What a charmed life that Nora Ephron (laughs) lived. Truly. (laughs) Um, Had you seen this movie before we watched it? Oddly, no, because I I love Ephron and I love Street. Um, But but as we've discussed before, my movie history is bad. Like. Mm. Because I grew up without theaters and um, parents with bad taste, so it took a long. I had to, if I haven't searched it out on my own, I haven't tripped across it. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Mm-hmm. Um, I really, you know, I really loved it, and, and you know, Nora Ephron is was such um, an observer of life. Like she came from a privileged life; she knew that. Her writing, her work is very New York-y. It's very urbane. Yes. It's very aimed at a specific audience. There's another filmmaker that we won't mention who is also known for this. Um, but I, but oh. Efron obviously <laughs> is coming. Com- <laughs> <laughs> you minute. know who. Yeah. I was for some reason thinking. Um, <laughs> Madonna? Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Christopher Nolan. Noted New York lover. <laughs> Anyway, but but Efron, of course, coming from the female perspective and coming from, you know, kind of an outdated female perspective where it's like very straight, um, very upper class, very like men are the worst, which I agree. But there's no nuance in the argument. Um, And uh, but, you know, this movie um, really reminded me of broadcast news in terms of its quality and its humor and it's um, humanity, and it's it's the kind of movie I always want to see. Yeah, there. What did uh, you think? Um, as you said, there's not there's less journalism than I thought going in. I assumed <laughs> yes, we'd get there should have been some a couple of scenes because they're both in their craft, and we do get a couple scenes at her her um, office her office with Jeff Daniels as an editor who's kind of also in love with her, um, and there is a paperwork montage. 
<laughs> but not the kind that we think. No. Um, yeah, there are parts of it that I, I, I overall enjoyed it. Um, there are parts of it that I really loved, which um, were the less story-driven stuff. The scene of them singing songs about their when they find out she's pregnant and her and Jack Nicholson sing songs while eating pizza. That had to be an improv. It went on forever. It went on forever, but it could it have gone on so for so funny. much longer. Yeah, it was so funny. She was, they were both reacting genuinely. Yeah. And then there was a scene where they cut to the next morning where she's like tired of it. But I and feel he keeps like. Going. Yeah, and he keeps saying, <laughs> and I felt like they came up with that and it was like a fun thing. And they're like, okay, let's add this thing on. Uh, and, I believe it was the it first going. time they said that they like clicked as like as people. coworkers. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime. Uh, Meryl's playing with her baby um, played Because it was her real baby. It was her yeah. real Mamie Gummer. Mamie, As yeah. an 18-month-old. Which you can, like, this child, like, is at work with her mom. And so... Yeah. There's a wonderful scene where she, like, finds out... Um, or she thought she... She thinks she's getting flowers from her estranged husband, but it's really just uh, sympathy flowers or something because her mom also recently died. And she's supposed to be crestfallen... And very sad, but Mamie is, like, trying to share some of her banana popsicle with her mom. <laughs> shoves it on her face. And, of course, like, her mom's like, oh, thank you, yum. You know, because it's your baby. But um, anytime I like mean, that, that the camera lingers on stuff that feels beyond a screenplay is so, is really beautiful and, and nice and lived in. Also, three of the four um, Gummer Streeps are uh -huh. actors. That's my trivia to you. Which you maybe thought you were going to get me with that one. There's a son, so there's oh. there's three daughters and four and a, and a son, Henry, and two of the daughters um, are actors. Oh. Mm -hmm. Also, Meryl's mom is in this movie. Yes. So three generations of Gummer Streets. <laughs> <Those streets. laughs> in this one, um, things that didn't work as well. Jack Nicholson as a romantic lead. Apparently, okay. I mean, you probably know this, but uh -huh. he—he he, was a late addition. He, yeah, Mandy Patinkin had yes. literally shot his opening day, including a sex scene, <laughs> and they fired him. Uh huh. And Jack so Nicholson, came in yeah. as a favor to Nichols because he yeah. always wanted to work with Meryl Streep, and like too much, also because as it they offered out. him like five million dollars. Of course. Um, and you know, Jack Nicholson is a very charismatic actor. And there's nothing wrong with him. I think, actually, he works better as a romantic lead when he got to senior citizen level. Because like, as good as it gets? A little bit, yeah. Because I think, like, him being elderly undercuts the weird danger <laughs> sensation that arises yeah. when you see this crazy psychopath on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. It's like, even if you didn't, if you don't know the story of Carl Bernstein and Nora Ephron going into the movie... As soon as Jack Nicholson shows up, you're like, well, this isn't going to end well. Yeah. How could it? <laughs> and I think that was some of the major criticism was that there didn't seem to be much of a marriage to begin with in the film. So him cheating on her wasn't like this huge uh, world shattering thing in the movie compared to how it was, you know, for the character. But there is a, a really funny throwaway scene where Stockard Channing is like, he used to bring girls to our house for lunch and just leave them there. <laughs> but he didn't do that with you. 
It's like, this is why you should marry him. And like, you know, she's nervous about it. She doesn't want to get married right away. Like she hides in her room on the wedding day. And it's like, it was, it was a good, uh, it was a good instinct. And that scene goes on for, for way too long. like 10, 12 yeah. minutes. S- several people go in and out of the bedroom. Like it's like Including this collection <laughs> of little short films. And there's a side plot in that scene of like the two waiters, like talking to each other about how to like bake chicken. Yeah, being very gay. There's a couple things that didn't age well. Yeah, that's definitely there, true. There was the flaming, the flaming, uh, you know, emasculating discussion about food. Uh huh. And then there's the "Here's my child with a teepee" mm-hmm. scene that didn't go so great. And Kevin then Spacey. Kevin Spacey's not, not going to age well. And then um, she's a dyke. Yeah. Also not great. <laughs> There's a few things that are very of its time. Group therapy. <laughs> There's a few things also, of its time. Although I will say, you know, Meryl Streep can do anything. I don't think she gets a lot of credit for being funny. But there's this scene when they're being held up by Kevin Spacey. He's like, give me your ring. And she's like, but my finger's swollen because I'm pregnant. It's so funny. It's just a throwaway line where she's like trying not to cry and freak out. And then they're like, oh, just like put some lip balm on it. And she's like, oh, yeah, that worked. Yeah. Um, which I guess really happened, or maybe happened only in the novel. I, I believe know. it could have happened. I believe it could have happened too. It's New a weird York, detail man. to not, <laughs> because it's like it's the sort of plot. Uh, uh, she finds out her husband's cheating, and then um, leaves, and the ring gets stolen in group therapy by a thug who follows her on from the subway, played by Kevin Spacey, in, I believe his film debut. Uh oh! There real. you go. And Got a debut not somewhere. a very convincing subway thug. <laughs> no. But whatever. Um, and then the police catch him later off screen and send her the ring back. And the ring setting is loose. And when she goes to get it fixed at the jeweler, the jeweler says, oh, how do you like that necklace, by the way? And she's yeah. like, she fakes, she pretends, but she knows something is up still. A weird thing the movie does, uh-huh. and maybe maybe it's a feminist stance that we could talk through, but I think it's weird as I'm saying it. We never meet his mistress. Yeah, we do. We, she passes by Thelma. at the restaurant briefly. Right. But really, she's not a character. No. And then, the, and then she just like shit talks her and spreads rumors about her and stuff. That she got a that she got herpes from a Vietnamese <laughs> restaurant, either the toilet seat or the spring rolls. Like what? Also, something that maybe didn't age too well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. But it's a, it's an interesting thing where like Nicholson, once she leaves, he drops out of the movie for a while, and we don't yeah. follow him because it's it's her movie, which is the nice thing. And apparently, and I'm and I'm sure you know this from trivia. Carl Bernstein got final approval over the script in oh, their divorce proceedings. Yes. Okay. So so based on the book, so he was cheating on her in real life with uh, Margaret J. The Baroness J of Paddington. Oh, sure. Uh, who was a British presenter and then became a politician and daughter of British a British presenter prime is like a fancy term for talk show hosts. Yeah, but they have terms. Right? They have their own terms. They could, we, it's fine. <laughs> um, actually, uh, weirdly enough, so that affair was in I don't know the late seventies. It you know because they got divorced in eighty and the book came out in eighty three and the movie came out in eighty six and. Um, Margaret Jay's husband, Peter Jay, ended up having an affair with their nanny, fathering a child <laughs> that he denied paternity to for some time. And the two of them divorced the year this movie came out. 
So there's mm. what the Jays have been up to. Anyway, um, so in uh, so yeah, Bernstein tolerated, I guess, the book though he like badmouthed it, and then when he heard the there was going to be a movie, <laughs> he took her to court. Um, and I guess that was either part of the divorce or it was one of those things where two separate legal cases or something. Um, so he won the right to read all drafts of the screenplay and see and submit notes on an early cut of the film. Wow, um, as far as the cut, that's messed up. He got a pledge that Efron would never turn Heartburn into a TV series. <laughs> He mandated that a trust for their two young sons be created with part of the film's profits and won her guarantee that the father in the movie will be portrayed at all times as a caring, loving, and conscientious father in any screenplay prepared or executed. Well, that tells you something right there, doesn't it? And, like, Mike Nichols was a legal signatory on the divorce. Wow. Because this was all happening at the same time. I kind of respect, like... I think that's uh, uh, not not fair, but like maybe nice of Carl to at least, you know, that he wanted for the sake of the kids that he his their dad isn't demonized in the film anymore. Oh, than... I don't think that's why. I think he was a shitty dad, oh, okay. and he was like, "You're not saying that I was." Like, if you have to go out of your way to be like, "You can't say this," that means you think she's gonna say it. Yeah. But like why would she have a reason if it weren't true? He had one quote where he was particularly particularly incensed that like the film depicts the song that they would sing their kids to sleep with, which, you know, Aww. Itsy Bitsy Spider, I assume. Right. The Itsy Bitsy Spider big like um overarranged finish as the plane is flying <laughs> away was a weird end. So for a movie with the music by Carly Simon. Coming around again. By Carly Simon was the song, and there's like a B-side arrangement which has like a choral rendition of it's like a soulful Baptist itsy it's bitsy spider. It's else. That fucking song was every musical sting. It in, was. At one point, a dude sets up a saxophone on the streets of New York, and he's just in the background, and he starts playing it. It's like music by Carly Simon, but it's one song. It's like last week we talked about uh, Alan Doyle. And Russell Crowe, and yep, it's like yep. if every song in that movie was some <laughs> tonight, Patty Murphy tonight. <laughs> it's like, lo, we paid the money for it. I like it. It's fine. It's just in there a lot. It's in there a lot. I know. Actually, you know, I have recently made a film, and I was like, should I do this? Just use <laughs> one song all the way through, like the Jaws theme. And it arises at inappropriate times. So when she confronts him about the cheating. Um, she was in the bathroom going through all his receipts and comes out and she's very like, her hair's all fucked up because she left the hairdresser mid-tease. I don't know what they were doing. Her? Her I don't know what they are doing either. Um, yeah. And she's, so she's also sort of like her makeup's like from the steam. Uh, she looks weird. And he's in a tuxedo shirt with a bow tie undone and he's already taken his pants off. So he's in his <laughs> underwear. And it's, I was fully ready for 20 minutes of these two actors looking yep. ridiculous having an incredible argument between them and we just kind of get a couple lines and then smash cuts to her packing her suitcase to that fucking song again yeah which is he, very he's like lively yeah he's like i'm not talking about this and he leaves yeah <laughs> it's like oh okay 
So there, there, there are things I really like, but there are also times I wish the movie was different <laughs> or doing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, Catherine O'Hara appears. That's nice. Yeah. Dr. Channing's nice. Yakov um, Smirnoff. Yes. Um, Milos Forman, the director, also makes an appearance. Also making his film debut. Yeah. Why? I don't know. <laughs> He's the one who says Dyke the first time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then Catherine O'Hara says it the second time. And then there's a weird pie in the face for Jack Nicholson in that scene. That whole scene's that. very weird. I felt like it was like Milos Forman's here. We're going to write a scene around him. So and the, we'll go from the there. The book, um, I guess, goes like that's more of the payoff of her being a food writer. Right. Which, again, we don't get much of here other than she tries to organize a rice pudding contest. Yeah, Nora Ephron famously loved rice pudding. I remember in the 9-11 issue of New York Magazine, um, they had a bunch of directors send in photographs of New York, and hers was like a fridge with different rice puddings. So in the book, she... She's like this food writer, and that's sort of sometimes maybe looked down on, but she yeah, he writes. Yeah, dismisses her a ton. She relates to the world through food and cooking, and and that is something where she does cook for him on their first like night together, mm-hmm. and he gives her compliments through the cooking, and so this is, I think it's more of a drawn-out metaphor in the book where she's taking this pie that she's prepared, this key lime pie, and slams it in his face as like a final, like, you know, using her cooking against him. Mm-hmm. instead of to please him um and it's always fun seeing somebody get a pie in their face in a movie it is and then he walks out like he play, trying he to be dignified it, yeah as it's <laughs> like falling off of him it's great job all around um yeah it's like a very like Chekhov's key line pie truly situation where you're like as soon as she mentioned it, i'm like oh that's going in someone's face any pie with yeah. like a whip topping in a movie. Yeah, when you see her adding the whip topping, you like you see the process. Yeah. You're like, what's this about? <laughs> this is... And then she doesn't bring the pie over for a second. <laughs> oh my god, it was so tense. Um, did you love when she goes back to Jeff Daniels? She's like, Can I have my job back? And he's like, Yeah, of course. <laughs> I would have told you that before, but I didn't want you to feel bad. It's like, ah, New York media. Yeah. Nicest editor in the world. Though I guess he's also like asking her out at the same time he really loves her yeah i would like yeah she was like eight nine months pre- she's she's weirdly like she has her first kid within like 20 minutes and yeah. then the rest of the movie there's like an hour where she's nine months pregnant yeah <laughs> um yeah but he's just like sure have the job back even though and then she's like oh by the way i'm gonna move back to new york to be with my husband even though i said i'd never do that or back to dc and he's like, how are you going to do this job from a different city? And she's like, I'll just do it. <laughs> okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and now that's normal, I guess. But yeah. yeah. Did you like how you could pay for airline tickets in the 70s mid-flight? Sure. Just like being on the train. <laughs> different times. Truly. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was, it was, um, bre- it was horribly reviewed. Roger Ebert, who we both like, Mm -hmm. called Mm -hmm. it a bitter, sour movie about two people who are only marginally interesting. Hmm. And Pauline Kael said the movie is full of talented people who are fun to watch, but after a while, the scenes that don't point anywhere begin to add up and you start asking yourself, what is this movie about? That's interesting. I mean, I kind of think it's like, here's this lady trying to find herself again. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I don't know, but I'll give Streep the benefit of the doubt anytime because I just love watching her it's, so much. I mean, it's it's an actor's movie. Yes. So, and Mike yeah. Nichols is an actor's director. Yeah. You know, not all of them are. You know, Christopher Nolan, for instance, not so much. And I do think if this wasn't about a famous pair of New York mm-hmm. socialite literati yeah. folks, it maybe would have been reviewed better by people in those same circles. I don't know. Yes, like let's not let's not fool ourselves in terms of like who knew who and who was invested in this shit. Yeah. Roger Ebert probably not. Pauline Kale definitely. Because I can see not liking it, but also like to just in it, there are things not to like about the film aside from mm-hmm. just like the the weird bits of racism that play go. But overall, it's like no, this is this is fine and pleasant to spend a couple yeah. hours with. And yeah, yeah, are we like? And maybe it's helped that there have been 30 years of annual Woody Allen movies since. Yeah. Where it's like, it's fine to have some room for this one. (laughs) But This one that's not gross and not, yeah, about the exact same thing Mm -hmm. every time. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite Nora Ephron factoids, Uh and it came up when I was confirming that Mamie was the baby. Um, so apparently, baby, 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 apparently, um, his last name was Feldman initially. Aha, yeah. And they made her change it to Foreman. Mark Feldman. Because she used to tell people famously. Yeah. Deep Throat is Mark Felt. (laughs) Yeah. And no one ever listened to her. Because she figured it out from Bernstein's notes. Yeah. And no one ever listened to her or printed it. So it was like, it was this big reveal in the book in 2005 or whatever, but it's like she'd been telling people yeah. at fancy parties. And pretty for much like put it years. in this movie about yes. her <laughs> asshole ex husband, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, how, you, you're, you're very familiar with Nora Ephron. Did I you, am. Did you know a lot about her work in journalism before she got into film? Um, I knew she had been at like various New York publications. Yes, I knew she had because there aren't that many um, journalists who have become screenwriters and directors. So like the the other one would be Gillian Flynn is the other one that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I I don't read a lot, which is like a known sad fact about me. But I have a few Nora Ephron books because she's such a she's was a terrific terrific writer in all forms. Yeah. Um. We recently watched, um, not you and I, but uh, me at home and and my partner, Good Good Girls Revolt or Good Girl Revolt. I forget if it's plural girls, but it's an Amazon adaptation of the book or magazine article Nora wrote about the class action she filed for sexual discrimination against Newsweek, which was her first job. She was hired as a male girl. Because they didn't hire women writers, she was told. Mm-hmm. And she eventually left and um, filed that suit, which made them high. But anyways, it's on Amazon as a series. It's sort of Mad Men-esque of like, here's a retro time um, where female characters come into a newsroom and start trying to do some journalism. Mm. Um, and also, annoyingly, it's very much about their love lives, I would say, too. It was only one season it was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's out there if you want to check it out. I don't all think right. it's historically all that accurate, but anyway. Um, she's also one of the most successful uh, female directors of all time, and um, I often um, 
uh, pitch Nancy Myers as evil Nora Ephron. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy Myers, I think, is one of the like is yeah. probably above her in terms of box office. But uh, but yeah, she she definitely sets us back. But Nora, you know, of course, made classics like Sleepless in Seattle. You've got Mail, Bewitched, not so great. Um, her last film was Julie and Julia, which was a lovely street performance as well. She also um, co-wrote. Well, she re- she did rework work, uh, rewrite work on All the President's Men, which I think we've talked about before. Mm. But she co-scripted Silkwood, mm-hmm. um, which was a movie by Mike Nichols starring Meryl Streep, where yep. I guess that's how she met the trio and and about a whistleblower and labor activist who was likely killed and whose death was later adapted uh, for a scene in The China Syndrome, another journalism movie. We're kind of into trivia go. at this point, but. Yeah, this is like the the six degrees of uh, Nora Ephron. It's like, yeah. Imagine it's your life is like you're like I'm a journalist. My husband's this other journalist, and he did something huge. Yeah. But now I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go work with Mike Nichols and Meryl Streep a few times. And then a I'm few gonna times. and then I'm gonna marry Nicholas Pileggi. Pileggi, yeah. For many decades and yeah. just rake in that mob money. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, should we take a break and then we can talk more trivia? Sounds good. My boy Bill, I will see that he's named after me. I will. My boy Bill will be tall and as tough as a tree. Will Bill, like a tree, he'll grow with his head held high and his feet planted firm on the ground. And you won't see nobody dare to try to toss him or boss him around. No baggy-eyed, beer-bellied bully will boss him around. Welcome back. You're still listening to Box Office Bylines, where we're talking about the 1986 romantic comedy, not very journalism-heavy film, Heartburn. And mm. Jacob, I bet you've got some trivia, although we've gotten to, into a bunch of it because this is one of the rare instances where I knew a bunch of things coming in. Yeah, we talked about some stuff. Did you know Dustin Hoffman turned down the role of Mark Foreman? Oh, why? Um, I Too think short. it had to do with him being in All the President's Men as Carol Bernstein. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Um, maybe a little too on the nose there. Yeah, as you mentioned, Nicholson replaced Mandy Patinkin, um, who was cast. Different reports of why he was let go. Um, I think Nichols said there wasn't that much chemistry. Um, mm-hmm. There's one story I read where Patinkin like, asked tons and tons of questions during rehearsals and early shooting scenes about like why would his character say that say this or why would he do this mm-hmm. or do you think this is actually too mean uh, um, um, why would a, why would like would a man really cheat on his pregnant wife while she was pregnant oh Mandy and so there was like some feeling amongst the producers like oh he's trying to soften this character too much but it was interesting to hear Meryl Streep talk about it in an interview that said that's just Mandy's process he's from this tradition where like you just keep asking questions to get to the core of a character and mm-hmm. you, you do that work and then that allows you to go forward with it. Um, but I guess they didn't agree. I will say I've directed one feature film very uh-huh. recently. So I'm talking out of my ass mostly. But you, when there is no chemistry, like you, kn- like you know, you know when it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So 
I feel like they were like, let's give it a day. And they gave him a sex scene on the on their first day, which is a horrible thing to do. Um, and then they're like, that it's not there. And I'm sorry if it's a romantic like you need to believe that they met and they needed to be together immediately because that's how the movie goes. Yeah, they go through it fast. Yeah, like, and if if it's not there between the actors, then it's not going to be there. So I think Mandy Patinkin is a wonderful actor. But, you know, sometimes it's not right. They shot a whole week of Back to the Future with Eric Stoltz. There's a Back like, to the Future you know. movie poster in the subway. <laughs> <laughs> they fired Mandy over the phone. Oh, Technically over the car phone. 80s. Nichols said he had one of the first car phones. Um, and yeah, Streep said it was very sudden and Patankin later faulted himself for listening to all the relatives who said, yes, you win Tony awards, but how's the movie career going? Aww. Said that he was ambivalent about the role and believed, um, Nichols always wanted another actor and he was devastated, but understood it later on. And then he went on to, to do Chicago Hope. So he was fine. It's totally, like he's had a great career. And I'd love he's, to see Mandy yeah. Patinkin and Meryl Streep in anything at any time. Yes, um, they should do a musical. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, Meryl Streep was pregnant in real life during the making of the film. Mm-hmm. Three months. So, but they had to still put a fake nine-month belly on her mm-hmm. for her times. Uh, Tony Shalhoub's first feature film role. What did he do? Yeah, did you do you remember seeing him? No. No, all of his scenes, almost all of them were cut. <laughs> um, he's a passenger. The only time he's seen in the movies, very very briefly, is a passenger on a plane sitting behind Jack Nicholson. He had a love scene with Meryl Streep. Oh. I saw a reference he- to how like um, there were parts of it where her fantasy world spins off more, and so I think maybe she like thought about having an affair with this random guy she sees. Oh. But those but scenes it were confusing have been so to the audience. Because yeah. there's like, yeah, she yeah. watches Masterpiece Theater and the PBS guy like narrates her story in a very like magic realism kind of way. Yes. So I guess there was more of that, but. Yeah, that was a good move to cut that out. Also, Tony Shalhoub. So if you watch the 1992, three classic Adam's Family Values. Of course. There's a scene <laughs> where... Debbie Jelinski is played by Joan Cusack, goes and sings Macho Man in a bar because she thinks she's just a she oh, yeah. thinks she's yeah, murdered yeah, yeah. Fester. And one of the Navy guys in the bar is Tony Shalhoub. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, they're singing the God. New York singer. actors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Showing up in everything. Yeah. Uh Streep admitted in 2014 on the Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. That daughter, Mamie Gummer, was credited under the name Natalie Stern, which was done so that there would be no photographs of her daughter, who was only 18 months old at the time of filming, which I think is very nice. What a great mom. Yeah. Mamie would go on to play her daughter in an an underrated Diablo Cody Jonathan Demi jam called Ricky and the Flash. Didn't know that. They have the same face. It's fucked. Yeah, they do. The daughters (laughs) look like her. They really do. After saying she was going to make a key lime pie for dinner, Streep is seen at the produce department buying regular limes rather than key limes. I noticed that when I was watching. I didn't know there was a difference. Key limes are smaller. They have a thinner mm-hmm. uh, skin husk. That is something I you I think they're know. sweeter, too. Okay. It's, it's, wow. Anyway, that's fine. <laughs> I hope someone got fired over that. <laughs> Streep said that she stole... She didn't try to, you know, it was difficult because you're playing 
a character based on Nora Ephron and Nora Ephron is the screenwriter and she's there every day of filming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but she didn't want to, you know, just do an imitation of her. But the, she said she did steal certain things from Nora that were patently obvious, like her glasses, her terrible mm-hmm. posture. <laughs> and she also said, I tried to get as thin as she was, but I never could. And that always pleased her. <laughs> I've only recently, over the last year, I guess, learned more about Nora Ephron's um, journalism career pre-screenwriting and sort of her, like, place in the new journalism field, which doesn't get as much recognition as the big dicks of new journalism. (laughs) Um, Or even, like, Joan Didion, who apparently they were friends, Mm -hmm. which I would love to see that movie. Mm Mm-hmm. but we've we've talked before about how in the better journalism movies, even though this doesn't have a lot of journalism in it, the love story is always between the r- reporter and the work. Mm-hmm. And I do think that sort of this does have that theme because she does want to get back to the work and she does kind of gain that independence too. And we know Nora Ephron's story. Um, but also, I like Nora wrote i don't know if anyone's has read and if they haven't they should go read journalism a love story the magazine piece she wrote uh which is available online um and it's very good and i just thought i'd read a quote at the end for us from that if that's all right that sounds lovely uh she says now i know there's no such thing as the truth that people are constantly misquoted that news organizations are full of conspiracy and that anyway ineptness is a kind of conspiracy That emotional detachment and cynicism only get you so far, but for many years I was in love with journalism. I loved the pack. I loved smoking and drinking scotch and playing dollar poker. I didn't know much about anything, and I was in a profession where you didn't have to. I loved the deadlines. I loved the speed. I loved that you wrapped the fish. I think that's a very nice quote. Mm. And, yeah, speaks to some things I like about journalism as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, no one knew she was sick, and then she just died, and she had instructions for her eulogy, and I feel that is, those are all things you would do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a surprise for you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, one thing I would definitely not serve at my funeral, or wake? Chopped liver? Uh, no, I would have chopped liver. I like chopped liver, but I would not have raisins in rice pudding. No, God. There, Nora Ephron and raisins I disagree. out of everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> famously agreed on everything, but raisins. <laughs> uh, that's it. Any final thoughts from you? No, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy we got to do this this movie. There hasn't been. Um, is this our first time talking about Meryl Streep in this in our low maybe directly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, no, no. We did the Devil Wears Prada. Oh, anyway. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, we talked about her a lot then. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, uh, I'm i a huge uh, Efron fan, so it's nice to, to get to dig into her stuff. Hmm. Um, people can find you on Twitter at ThornyHFX. They can, and they can find you at RWJ Boone. Yeah, though I'm trying to use and... Twitter less now that I don't have to yeah, day-to-day. That's interesting. But it's fine. You're missing out on um, cross-country cultural wars because now we're all 
judging each other for where we do and don't live. Oh, is that that that's a new thing that's happening? <laughs> it's really overt now. It's like when the right wing went like you know mainstream. That's uh-huh. what it's just like you suck for living here. Okay. Um, next week, I don't know what we're gonna do. We'll figure, we'll it, figure out. it out. But uh, we might have another guest back. We'll see. Anyway, all right. Thanks for listening. Oh, people, yeah, they should listen to your podcast and stay tuned for more updates about your future projects. Sure, tideline like the tideline. The tideline. All line. the details That's on right. Tara's Twitter webpage. Do you have a webpage? <laughs> no, okay. people yell at me all the time for not having a website. I say, who needs it? Twitter's for. That's right. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again, Tara. It's great talking Thank to you. Thank you, Jacob. As always. Always. And yeah, I don't know what we say at the end. What do we say? It's been a while. <laughs> May all your jewels be Richard. May all your jewels be Richard. <laughs> all right. Take care. Bye. Bye. She's gotta be sheltered and fed and dressed in the best that money can buy. I never knew how to make money, but I'll try, by God, I'll try. I'll go out and make it, or steal it, or take